We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA show today, November 4th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's assistant NBA editor, Alex Barutha. We welcome those listening on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Uh, thank you to those who've stuck with us through this, uh, the end of the, the bubble and now into the offseason. And those, of course, listening on the normal Rotowire podcast feed. Alex, I want to start out with a, a quick trivia question that I came across earlier today. Who are the only two active NBA players? who are undefeated in the NBA Finals, with the caveat being that they've played in multiple NBA Finals. Oh, man. Um, undefeated in the NBA Finals. I don't know. Um, both, both recent. Recent appearances. Both Danny, appeared in three Finals. So was, it both Danny three Green? was Danny Green one? Or did he lose a Finals with the Spurs? He lost a Finals, uh, I believe, one with the Spurs the first time. Uh, against the against the Heat, but I, I believe oh, he was yeah. also on. I think he was also on the roster, possibly when the Cavs lost in 07. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, 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 who are they? Patrick McCaw, three and <laughs> two with the Warriors, one with the Raptors, and Javale McGee, two with wow. the Warriors, and then one with the Lakers. Yeah, I would have never gotten those. Yeah, I feel like you have to you have to know that the Warriors are involved, given that they. You know, they were able to win uh, a couple back to back. And um, yeah, JaVale just kind of played it, played it right. So those were the only two active players to be undefeated with multiple finals berths. Um, not a groundbreaking trivia question by any means, but I, I thought that was a little bit interesting. We have a decent amount of news to get to this week, considering the the time that it is in the league calendar. And of course, everything is kind of turned on its head. Normally, we would be in the second week of actual NBA games. We'd have a lot more to talk about. We'd have a lot more fantasy points to touch on, but instead we're kind of in an opposite scenario where we don't even know when the season is going to start. We thought this time last week that we would have an answer 
by Friday of last week. And instead, the league and the Players Association decided to tack on another week uh, as far as the deadline to essentially come to terms on what next season is going to look like, uh, what that means for the future of the current CBA. Uh, there's ultimately the possibility that they could tear up that CBA and and just kind of fly. Uh, that would, of course, trigger the possibility of a lockout, but it, it doesn't really seem like things are headed that way. There's there's not really, uh, it, I wouldn't call it like a quote-unquote labor dispute. Um, it, it's more of just a, a unique circumstance that has prompted this. But, uh, you know, here we are, I, I think exactly seven weeks from that December 22nd start date that a week ago looked like, you know, we were kind of barreling toward um, and in, in, in the time since, the Players Association has pushed back and apparently has pushed back you know, pretty strongly. That's not surprising, really. It really was a that date is very quick, a very quick turnaround. And I know the NBA wants to make up as much revenue as possible. But, um, you know, and the, and the players pushing back, trying to get it to start, I think, on MLK Day. Yep. And the league kind of countering by saying, well, you're there's probably only going to be a 50 game season then. To which I'm sure the players were like, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think from a yeah from a basketball perspective, they're like, "Sure, that's that's no big deal." But I think then when you say, "Well, that also means you're only getting that percentage of your paycheck," right? Um, and for a lot of these guys, I'm sure they don't care that. I mean, obviously they want that money, but I think taking care of their bodies for the long term, you know, takes precedent for them. Um, but obviously the league is mostly just concerned about money and trying to find new ways to increase cash flow. Right. And the league is apparently broke right now. There was a report <laughs> in the New York Post on Monday that the NBA is like $4 million behind in its rent on the NBA store in Times Square, <laughs> uh, which if you've been there is like a three-story behemoth, like right in the middle um, uh, of Times Square. And just a place that I think the New York Post noted uh, that month of uh, that uh, annual rent is like seven and a half million dollars, which is not surprising given the location. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just kind of a side thing. I don't think that actually ties in to the league's finances. Like they, they're defaulting on the NBA store payment <laughs> to, to make sure that CJ McCollum gets his paycheck. Um, but the league is and this was reported by Woj uh, last night and, and he tacked on some more reporting on Tuesday. The league is, quote, searching for ways to increase cash flow to teams. And the three things, uh, the three revenue streams that Woj mentioned in particular would be alcohol brands, casinos, and sports books, which, you know, the NBA, I, I don't think has ever really been totally against any of those three things, maybe casinos the most. Um, but, you know, they've, they've embraced FanDuel and DraftKings, uh, you know, over the last few years. Um, and, and alcohol, you know, obviously has been, has been served at games. It's, it's been, um, you know, kind of in tandem with the league, but never, uh, it's never been a super close relationship. Like for example, players are not allowed, uh, you know, per NBA rules to, to have an endorsement deal with an alcohol brand, at least not publicly, you know, LeBron James can't be sponsored by Bud Light and Alex Caruso can't be sponsored by hams, something like that. So it now looks like the league is maybe going to explore because they're backed into this corner, uh, kind of backing down on on some of those restrictions, maybe getting into bed with some companies that they in the past would have seen as undesirable toward that image. But uh, to me, this I, I wouldn't say it, it reeks of desperation, but it kind of does in some ways. You know, the league had never really had to resort to something like this in the past. And I think it's becoming more and more salient, um, you know, in the weeks since the bubble ended that, you know, the, the, the TV ratings that a lot of people kind of scoffed at and said, yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. A lot of people are streaming. A lot of people still care. Um, a lot of that has resulted in some significant monetary concerns that the league is now kind of scrambling to try to fix on the fly. Yeah, well, no, the NBA is actually broke when they start allowing cigarette ads again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Otto Porter, you know, he, he just he's sponsored by Marlboro. Um, yeah, I, I guess maybe the concern from them about, um, you know, kind of allowing this sort of thing to come in this season is that they feel like they probably can't backtrack afterward. Mm -hmm. um, like they probably feel like they can't, well, if we introduce more sports book and in, sports books into arenas and kind of em embrace gambling more and uh, do different stuff with alcohol branding that as soon as, you know, things are kind of normalized, but then the next few years, they probably, they maybe feel like they can't completely like yank that back and they're worried about a slippery slope, but I don't know. I always felt like this was kind of coming anyway for the NBA, right? And this season might just end up mm -hmm. being the year that it, it it comes earlier than 
we expect to get to, but um, especially the sports book stuff. I think that was like very, very much on its way. Right. That that part I'm not really surprised about because I, I think if anything, the NBA had kind of gone out of its way to to say like we're the league that's going to embrace this a few years ago, and it it felt like it slowed down a little bit uh, over the last year or two. Uh, where you know you have, I, I think there are NFL or baseball stadiums that have like a DraftKings sportsbook location like right. in the arena, and I think the NBA had always kind of implied that that's where they were trying to go. Um, so if anything, you know, it, it would be interesting to know like who within the league is is on which side of this. You know, like is does Adam Silver truly have a moral obligation against you know partnering with Coors Light, or is it something that they always just saw as as something that would hurt the league's image, and now? this almost gives them an excuse to start to explore some of those things that, that previously were taboo. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what I'm wondering also. Right. Um, and I, it, it would be interesting to know who's on what side, like what does Adam Silver actually think um, is good. And it, I mean, I, I guess it feels like he's probably on the side if he doesn't want to do that or else it probably would have been done already. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some pushback from the players on certain things. I can see pushback from the players on definitely sports books, maybe not as much alcohol. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was something I kind of thought was coming anyway, but now, now it seems almost inevitable to some extent. Um, especially if, especially if the season does get pushed back, uh, -hmm. till like January or kind of what the players want. Right. And I, I got the impression that this is almost uh, something of like a backup plan, you know, if, because the NBA claims that if they start right before Christmas, you know, you have that big debut night which would presumably be december 22nd and then you have a huge um christmas schedule excuse me on christmas day um they claim that that's going to net you know 500 million to 1 billion dollars um obviously you're not going to make all of that up with with the the increased ad revenue from some of these other sources but it it strikes me as a way to kind of prepare for that possibility um which which is looking you know more and more realistic with with each passing day um the, C- the CBA deadline, we should say, has been pushed to this coming Friday now. And it's hard to imagine them pushing it back at this point just because it, it starts to become a math equation. And, you know, if there is a situation where the players union caves and says, all right, we're 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 good to go December 22nd, um, you know, teams like the Lakers and the Heat, I, I think, are are the teams that are probably going to push back the most. Like if you follow Jimmy Butler on Instagram, he's seemingly been on a yacht for like three weeks, basically the day after the season ended. He's just been adrift at sea. Um, there's just a lot that goes into it. You know, and I think it's really easy to say, oh, come on, these guys have all this money. They have multiple houses. They, they can figure it out. And they totally can. But, you know, a lot of guys, especially if it's your first year in a city or maybe you have an expiring contract, you know, those guys will just rent a home for the year. Not everybody's buying a house in the city in which they in which they play. So, you know, normally you have months and months to settle these things and weeks to move in. And, you know, in, in this situation, if training camps could be starting in like three and a half to four weeks, um, you're just you're just constraining a lot of things. And it's overall, man, it's, it is just absolutely crazy that we're still in this position. You know, I mean, we, we began this entire pandemic related discussion in mid-March. And at that time, you know, maybe it was a lack of foresight by us. But at, at no point did we start to think like, man, I wonder how this is going to affect the 2020-21 season. Yeah, not initially, not initially. And I think I think, you know, a lot of the issues like guys like Jimmy Butler, or Max contract guys are going to have like the least issues. Right. It's the it's the rookies or right. the kind of fringe guys. You know, it's guys like I don't, I don't even know who. PJ Dozier or something like that, who just like for some reason, Isaac Bonga came to mind. for Isaac, me. Yeah. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> you might have trouble like they're just going to have to end up spending extra money. It's, it's going to be, a, right. you know, those guys aren't as rich as people, I, I guess, think. There are a lot, a lot of guys like that in the NBA, and more guys like that than there are max guys. Um, so I think the C and the CBA, you know, a lot of times is for those guys um, too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I and we don't even really know what the situation is going to be with um, crowds yet, in terms mm-hmm. of will fans be at the games, stuff like that. And that seems like that's the opportunity. Then, like this is this is the season where if you are trying to push sports book stuff, right, like people being able to right. bet on their phone from um, their couch. Cause, cause maybe nobody can even be at the game. Um, that's probably the best opportunity to, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it goes without saying that if the season starts in December or January, there's a 0% chance that there will be full arenas. I think in certain right. states and in certain cities, we could see what we see in the NFL right now, where you have 
smatterings of fans throughout the arena. Um, you know, you're dealing with 18,000 seat venues as opposed to 80, 90,000 in some cases in the NFL. So, you know, what, what that looks like in terms of reduced capacity, I'm not really sure. But I think the other thing to consider, too, is going forward. I mean, even if there's a vaccine, let's say halfway through this season, I, mean, I think there's a large faction of people that wouldn't really be comfortable going to an 18,000 seat packed venue Right. Um, you know, for for maybe another calendar year. Like I, I think some people certainly would. There'd be people who would be willing to go to a packed arena, just like they're willing to go to a packed Trump rally right now. Um, but I think a lot of the league's target audience are are people that'll be a little bit skittish. So I, I think the league is probably preparing. You know, I, I think if you're if you're sketching it out financially, you have to say we're preparing for no fans this year. And I don't think it's realistic to say we'll just be back to normal attendance in two years. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think even after things theoretically slow down, there will be, like you mentioned, a group of people who are still extra cautious and extra skittish about things. And um, like, I'm not sure how much that will actually, you know, two years down the line um, hurt things, but it's they have to take in, into consideration um, a lot of things, which is why I thought it was so surprising that they wanted the league to start so soon again anyway. It's like, isn't there more stuff to figure out? I mean, they must have been working on this. Right. For basically since the season ended. Right. Like, I would think so. And I mean, from our perspective, the bubble, like considering where we were in May and June, where there were there were days and there were weeks where it looked like the season was not going to finish. And even once we got into the bubble, there were times when it looked like the season wasn't going to finish. I think it was such a relief that everything went so well overall. There were I mean, no real covid issues at all other than a few you know, notable mishaps early on that were in the grand scheme of things, really minor, you know, Rashawn Holmes, Lou Williams, stuff like that. Um, it, it felt like such a victory that I feel like I'm sure the league obviously was planning for next season, but everyone else was like, Oh wait, yeah, we need to get going already. Like it, it you kind of get into this mode where after the finals, you know, you and I've been, been in this business for a few years. Like you, you kind of decompress, you don't think about basketball for a little bit. And I, I feel like that's maybe where, where some, some players and some teams were, and then all of a sudden you look at the calendar and, and realize like there's there's really not any time for for sitting around, and, you know, with, with the schedule that we're on. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a while, I, I think, before the NBA looks like what it looked like in February and early March of this year. But um, tough position for the league to be in, certainly. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. The long wait is over. Football is back and new customers at BetMGM Sports can kick off the season with a 100% deposit match up to $500. Simply sign up and make a deposit with the bonus code ROTOWIRE, that's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, ROTOWIRE, to take advantage of this offer. There's never been a better time to get in on the action at BetMGM with parlay bonus payouts, live betting, daily boosted odds specials, and much more. Don't let one minute of the NFL season pass you by. Download the BetMGM app today or go to betmgm.com and use promo code ROTOWIRE to double your betting bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. You must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522- 4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in the state of Nevada. You know, talking about how the NBA might be having an opportunity to to force some things through that otherwise in a normal environment uh, it would avoid, uh, the play-in tournament appears now very likely for next season, regardless of, of when the season starts. Um, you know, there, there had been the concept of a midseason play in tournament um, or, you know, some sort of kind of soccer style round robin in the middle of the year. I, that's certainly not going to happen this season. That could still be on the table down the road. But the seven, eight, nine, ten uh, seeds in each conference playing each other for those final two seeds, uh, according to Woj, seems like something that's that's very much on the table and very likely to be included, you know, in this kind of amended uh, CBA that, that we expect some sort of decision on on Friday. Yeah, I think this is a good idea. I think I, I'm for this. The Memphis Portland play-in was awesome, and uh, I I am I, I'm interested in seeing more of it. And I think this is something that the league 
can do to some extent it, it kind of remains to be seen how it works in practice to curb tanking mm-hmm. um but i mean you could if you were the 10 seed and you you still um i i guess would your your would your your draft stock wouldn't be affected right you would still be the 10th seed and have that that same chance of whatever draft slot you were in but you could make the playoffs is how i assume it's going to work well that's how it worked this past year yeah right so i guess that does curb tanking right because you can be the 10 seed still secure your draft pick and still try to make a run in the playoffs or at least you know get some playoff revenue if you get swept in four games because you're the you're effectively the Mm eighth seed now i i think the biggest issue that was raised is you know so this this past year in the bubble like you said, it was just it was Portland, Memphis for the eight seed. So just the eight versus the nine, and that was it. In this scenario, you would have seven, eight, nine, ten in each conference included. So seven versus ten, eight versus nine. There is the advantage that the higher seeds, the seven and the eight, would only have to win one game. So basically the same right. format that we saw in the bubble, whereas the nine and the ten would have to win two games back to back. The the biggest pushback I, I think is going to come from like let's say this this exact format had been employed in the bubble. You had the Mavericks in the seven seed in the West, who were seven and a half games, I believe, ahead of uh, Memphis, which was the eight at the time. Is that fair to Dallas? You know, and I, I think in in the article that Woj uh, posted on Tuesday, he noted that there had been a little bit of pushback, um, and that as of now, the NBA would not have what he referred to as a standings trigger, in that if there was a big enough gap between a seed, you know, they would automatically be in. So. You know, I I don't think you want to plan too much based on just one year. You know, there won't always be that big of a gap between seven and eight. But I mean, in that scenario, if you're the Mavericks, I I don't think you're thrilled about, you know, playing playing your way well into the playoffs, not having to worry about it. And then all of a sudden now you have to you have to win in in what's a game you should win against the 10 seed, but uh, kind of a unique environment and, and a game that, you know, is certainly losable, too. Yeah, I mean, I I would be in favor of a standings trigger, like if it's more than five games, maybe. Um then you right. wouldn't then you wouldn't do it because um, you're right because if you have to if you end up playing two games against uh, some other seed and then you have to I don't know what the turnaround time would be but even if it was just, you know three days that's still that's still a pretty strong disadvantage and if you're if you're the seven going up against a two I mean there are some years where like that team definitely has a chance you know like Dallas against the Clippers that was a legitimate series then Porzingis right. got hurt. Um, and those extra, you know, that extra wear and tear could have, could kind of hurt the, that seed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like this just ends up, this ends up being an advantage, um, for the, well, it ends up being an advantage for the top seeds, right. And the bottom seeds that could make the playoffs and have a good draft pick. Like, cause if you're, if you're, if you're the two seed and you end up playing, you know, Phoenix or whoever, um, and they're now tired, more tired. So I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of factors, right. but in general, I'm for it. Yes. And this too, this one's not quite as blatant, but this is a, a money grab for the league. And, oh, yeah. uh, the, the league source that was cited in, in Walsh's report on this essentially said that the reason that there wouldn't be a standings trigger is because they need to guarantee as many games as possible. So, right. you know, also if you take the, if you take the seven seed out of it, uh, then you're, you're down to three teams and that reduces the number of games that you're going to have. So, I don't think the league is overly concerned uh, about a Dallas type of situation, uh, but but you're right. There there will be advantages. You know, if you're the one seed, th- th- that's a little more of a of a bump, I think, because you're playing a team that maybe had to play two games in two days three days ago. Um, I also think it's a benefit, and and maybe this is tied in uh, on a minor level for, you know, a good team that loses, uh, you know, a star player, and you know we've seen it in the past where you know some teams would would just kind of tank th- like you know Spurs David Robinson turning that into Tim Duncan type of situation where um, you know if you lose a certain player or a certain player misses 25 games in the middle of the season in the past you know there's a, there's a case that your year's over and you you know you kind of pack it in and and maybe you start resting other veterans and you you just try to improve improve that draft slot but if now all you have to do is get into 10th place and that player you're missing maybe comes back a week or two before the end of the season. Um, I, I think it, it basically accomplishes the task of making sure that there are as few teams as possible that have nothing to play for going into the final month or so of the season, which I think is the NBA's ultimate goal, right? I think so, because, I mean, you and I love the NBA, but April can be horrible. Like, just yes. a slog of games that are really yes. bad. 
I feel like the Hornets play every single night in April. Hornets versus Hawks every night. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I agree. I mean, I think you, you want to, this is a good way to incentivize a lot of different teams. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately I'm for it. I mean, I wish there kind of was a standing trigger. I understand why there's not, but this is something that should help generate revenue. And this is something I think you could, I think you could pull back on this, you know, if like it, people just didn't like it this year or something really like strange happened or the teams like, again, if the teams or the players really hated it. Um, so I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm sure they don't want to pull back on it because, um, you know, I, it's not very often that the MB, the league would implement something, something this kind of drastic and then right. just decide, well, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. They don't experiment usually that much. Um, so if it's, if it, if it happens, it seems like it might be there to stay, but, um, we'll see. Yeah, I would imagine it would be unless there's some sort of catastrophe. And and my one final point on, I, I guess if you want to play devil's advocate with the standings trigger, and I'm with you in general, I think there should be, but it then it keeps the race in the middle of the pack more competitive too, where, you know, maybe you don't have teams jockeying for seating. You don't have teams resting guys down the stretch because, you know, if you're Dallas at seven, you're working like hell to get to six. And if you're the team that's in sixth place, you don't want to fall to seven. So I, I think in general, this does accomplish the goal of, of trying to keep things as competitive as possible over the course of what will eventually be an 82-game schedule. Um, you and I have not talked about Daryl Morey running the Philadelphia 76ers. That news broke, I believe, on Thursday of last week uh, when I was about to record a, a draft podcast with James. And we hit on it briefly, but uh, in the time since, there there was a report from Sham Sharania today that uh, the 76ers are, quote, expected to be interested in and pursue Rockets guard James Harden. <laughs> oh man! Not, I mean, not only are they interested in him, they will be pursuing him. We we've talked about the you know the trade, right. the Ben Simmons for James Harden type of trade on this podcast before. Um, again, that's something I don't think would happen unless just like Houston took a just a real turn for the worse. If the chemistry got horrible, like Stephen Silas just like couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> Like, I, I, I don't know. It seems like it would take a lot for that to actually happen. Um, it's not it's not surprising that Daryl Morey wants James Harden, because if you can get James Harden and Ben Simmons on the same team, or excuse me, uh, ben, or I, I can't speak, James Harden and Joel Embiid on the same team, that's, I think, better than mm-hmm. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the same team. Um, but yeah, this is just kind of, this feels like par for the course news, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. It's almost, it's almost like too obvious of a storyline. Right. Um, and I, I think... I think the one thing that's interesting with Houston is that how much can we assume that they're just going to continue to be the Rockets that they were under D'Antoni and uh, Daryl Morey? You know, that's that's been their identity. They've been, I think, arguably the most unique NBA team over the last few years as we as we see more and more teams just pivot to the, you know, four or even five out type of style. You know, there's there's not like one team that just runs everything through the post like they've they've been on the extreme really from the beginning and continue to be. And I just don't know, like, is James Harden going to come out and average 33 again next year? Or do we possibly see a complete restructuring, not only from an offensive standpoint, you know, for all we know, Steven Silas maybe comes in and wants to run a more traditional offense, doesn't want Harden monetizing um, or dominating possessions, uh, monetizing. I don't know why I said that, Um, (laughs) you know, the way that he has over the last couple of years. Um, And then, you know, on the, the management side, without Daryl Morey there constructing this team, like how many other GMs are willing to just punt on Clint Capella, you know, an, an all-star caliber center mid-season and just say, yeah, we're going to ha- we're going to run out 6'6 PJ Tucker and 6'8, you know, 200 pound Robert Covington as our de facto centers. Like, I, I don't think it's a given that that Houston wouldn't do this deal. Uh, I think there would have to be some significant sweeteners you know, when you're talking about uh, Simmons for Harden, because Harden is the better player. He's the safer player, uh, the more proven player. But I don't I don't think it's totally off the table, because right now, if you're Houston, like what what is the immediate future? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, they probably figured they can stay competitive, right? They've been competitive for so long. And um, the team was generally successful, even though the, the series against OKC was not encouraging. Um, 
I just think if I was them, if you have James Harden on your roster, you would rather do change literally everything around him than get rid of him, right? Like before that. Yes. Like you I don't agree. decide I'm gonna change I'm gonna trade James Harden because this isn't working. It's like let's just throw everything in the garbage around him, restart, um, and and do that. And I think that's kind of what they've done so far. That Maury's gone, D'Antoni's gone. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they found a way to get rid of Westbrook. It wouldn't surprise me if they f- tried to find a way to get a legitimate center back on the roster. Because I think, I don't think the small ball thing, the way they did it, it was extreme. I'm going to call it a gimmick just for the, the sake of calling it a gimmick. I think if you have enough talent, you don't need to do that. Like, you don't, like, that seems like a something that you would do if your team really wasn't that good, right? And didn't have an elite star, you would play that way. And you would do an offense that's more gimmicky. I think if you have James Harden, you can just run something a little more traditional that has like just less, you know, like the kind of sort of like what LeBron has been doing. The the roster that LeBron has in the Lakers run isn't gimmicky, really. Their talent's just really good, and that gets them far enough. Like, so I don't I think you can build a relatively normal team around James Harden. It doesn't have to be the way that it's been. Yeah, and there have been rumblings that Harden would prefer that and it's, it's kind of interesting you know like you'd think you would enjoy averaging 35 36 points per game and, <laughs> and taking all those shots but it, it is a strain especially when it's not resulting in team success I mean I, I certainly think he would be open to having a more a more balanced and talented roster that seems like something that would be appealing uh, I just with Westbrook on the roster now I, I still think they could be a good regular season team I just I don't know what the piece is especially when you start to look at like financial feasibility and, you know, their relative lack of assets, they're, they're usually picking 23 to 27 every year. You know, they don't have these future assets. They don't have really any interesting young players, even even someone like a Matisse Thybul when you look at Philly. Like he, he might be the swing piece in a big deal in the next year or two. I don't know that Houston really has that guy. So, I, I again, I, I, I do agree with you that I don't think you – I would rather have James Harden than try to trade him and – get you know expect the pieces i get back to be better than what james harden was uh especially given his age if harden was like 33 you know obviously you'd feel differently but i think i wouldn't say their window is completely slammed shut you know they they it was a little more wide open the last few years when they were in the western conference finals and a game or two away from getting to what would have been some pretty appealing matchups i think for them against those Cavs teams um and even even that toronto team last year in the finals um, but when you have James Harden, you're going to be com- you're going to be competitive no matter what. It's just a matter of tooling around him, and it, it's it's hard because I, I think Daryl Morey is co- probably the number one guy you would want to do that. And if he wasn't able to do it, it it's hard for me to have faith that that the new regime will. Right. Um, I mean, do you think that's kind of what he's uh, going to do in Philly, Daryl Morey? Like he has Simmons mm-hmm. and he has Embiid. It's just the surrounding pieces that need to be switched up because I know a lot of people think he's going to end up trading one of them but I feel like you don't you don't do that right away well it's hard to know in Houston how much was Gerald Morey's influence versus Mike D'Antoni's you know who is who is ultimately the one that said let's play without a center is it is it D'Antoni that says that and then Morey goes out and does it or Morey saying I'm going to do this you're going to figure out how to coach him it's hard to say because we haven't really seen Daryl Morey construct a you know, a, a quote unquote normal NBA basketball team in a while. I mean, basically since he brought Dwight Howard to Houston and, and that kind of failed, like this is probably the closest thing. Um, and essentially the last five or six years, I mean, it, it's been one guy running everything and, you know, maybe you have a second guy who, you know, Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook who can, who can do some of what the main guy does, but, but not as much. I think it's going to be fun to see him. I mean, if you're him, like this is a much better job objectively, right? I mean, we know how much he loves, James Harden like he's been the biggest advocate for Harden above anyone um, given the some of the criticism that Harden's received but I mean you can't say that this is a better job in terms of the personnel on the roster now and the future flexibility that he'll have right and you figure you have maybe a better chance in the east than you would have in the west um, to be successful I I don't know I mean there's still some you know there's some tough things on the roster that he has to navigate like Al Horford um, and his contract and whether or not you try to move Tobias Harris and do you bring in a quote unquote real point guard? Like there's still a lot of questions on the roster, but again, like that's the job I think is more interesting at this point than, than the Rockets mm-hmm. job. So speaking of a former rocket, Chris Paul, uh, reportedly, I don't, I don't know how sourced this actually is, but league sources, uh, reporting this week that 
he prefers to land in Los Angeles or New York City. And when you start to look at the teams that are based in those cities, um, it becomes very clear that one is much more feasible than the rest. And that, of course, would be the New York Knicks, who uh, apparently have an offer on the table. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you know which side is is kind of waiting on that, whether it's OKC uh, or Leon Rose, who you know has a close relationship with Chris Paul on the Knicks side. But I, I, I don't think it's surprising. I think most guys, especially veterans like Chris Paul, would, would prefer to play in, in cities like that. Uh, he's one of many players who lives in L.A. in the offseason. Is there any way that he could get to the Lakers or the Nets? I mean, I think we could probably rule out the Clippers at this point. Although in terms of like one for one type of trades, um, I suppose you could flip Paul George for Chris Paul. I would I would not <laughs> advise doing that. But um, I think it's just interesting to throw, you know, for his camp to throw out those two cities and then have like three of the four teams really not be viable whatsoever on paper. Right. The Clippers one's hard for me to imagine um, unless it involved like a sign and trade with Montrez Harrell, maybe. Um, yeah, but they really don't have much else, obviously, since yeah. they and if you're the Thunder, up, I don't know what that does for you. I, I don't know either. Um, you know, the Nets, I mean, they would have to give up Karis LeVert, I assume. I mean, if you're okay, say you want Karis LeVert from Brooklyn, and I don't know how interested yes. they are in Spencer Dinwiddie, for example, but you probably want Karis LeVert and you want Jared Allen. If you can get those two guys, I'd feel mm-hmm. great about that deal. Um, the Lakers, I have no idea. I've you would get Kuzma. And probably Caruso. You'd have to throw in the Danny Green money. Danny Green money and like picks. I just think Brooklyn has like the best available. Brooklyn has all the assets, right? Um, Right. It's just that he makes, he doesn't make a ton of sense with Kyrie, but I would still, I could, I could still see them doing it. I'm not sure how it would work out from a chemistry standpoint or an on-court standpoint, but it would be, I mean, I think it would be fun at least. And it makes sense. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, Brooklyn, it is feasible for Brooklyn. I Maybe I underplayed that a little bit. They they do have the assets. I I mean, if you're the Nets, I, would, do you even really want to add Chris Ball? Like, obviously, he's a talent upgrade over Karis LeVert. But one, there's the injury risk. And then two, you already have a point guard. You already have Kevin Durant. You're, you're essentially asking Chris Paul to come in at this point in his career, coming off of a second team All-NBA season, and be like your third option, essentially. I, I just... I feel like that would look really good on paper. It would look like a lot of the like quote unquote super teams that we've seen put together over the years. Uh, it's strikingly similar to like the Steve Nash Lakers <laughs> yeah, where, yep. you know, you look at be like, man, they have Chris Paul, they have Kevin Durant, they have Steve Nash himself coaching. They have Mike D'Antoni on staff. Like it would almost, it would almost be too much <laughs> to the point where it would be detrimental. Yeah, it, I think so. But the thing is though, Karis LeVert's also an injury risk. So maybe you would just figure like, well, it's probably a similar injury risk. Um, yeah. Paul's a little bit more, but you get his experience. I mean, I think yeah. it would be, I think, it, again, I think it'd be a fun team, but it remains oh, yeah. to be, it would remain to be seen like can Kyrie and Chris Paul coexist on the court and chemistry wise. Cause I feel like, I mean, Durant and Kyrie, I think have similar like personalities. Right. Mm-hmm. But Chris Paul is just not even in the same, <laughs> not even in the yeah. same universe. And no, exactly. And I think Chris Paul and Kyrie have, have had their battles in, in terms of the players union. I, I think the like ideal scenario of you pitch Chris Paul and you're coming in and you're playing 25 to 28 minutes per night will stagger you with Kyrie. One of you is always on the court. You know, Katie's out there the majority of the time. Like, I, I love that idea. I just I don't think in practice it would work out as well as it would seem on paper. No, I could still see them doing it because you just get the stars and you figure it out later yeah. kind of a thing. And it's New York right. and it would put them on the map even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I could see it happening. It would be, it would be fascinating. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it wouldn't be all that shocking. I guess my, my final point on this would be if I have Levert and Allen to trade, I'm willing to take the risk that, you know, maybe some offers aren't there later on, but I, I wouldn't cash that in right now for Chris Paul. I would, I would want to wait on a Bradley Beal, or, you know, maybe a Devin Booker or somebody like that in the yeah. future. Like, I, I just, this would feel a little bit short-sighted. I agree. I think you can probably get better than Chris Paul for those guys. Or you at least want to see, I agree, you want to see what's out there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at some other trade scenarios uh, that, that you were able to dig up uh, on the internet today. And there are some very intriguing ones. Um, what, what was the name of the website where we pulled these? I think tradenba.com. I'll double check. 
Okay, nice. Yeah, this, this site's been floating around. Um, it's, it's just kind of like a cleaner, more advanced version of the ESPN trade machine, essentially, that, that doesn't have as many like roadblocks when you try to make these deals. But uh, we threw a few in here, and we'll run through them real quickly. Uh, let's start with the Brooklyn Nets. So they're not getting Chris Paul in this scenario, but they are going to the Houston Rockets, and they're going to get Robert Covington for Jared Allen and not Karis LeVert, but Torian Prince. Yeah. And just a uh, confirmation, it is tradeMBA.com. It's a great website. A lot of these trades are like public trades that people, you can like post them and people like or dislike them. That's where I got a lot of these from. But yeah, I actually, if I think if Houston wants to, again, go to a more balanced roster, a more traditional roster, this is probably the best they can do like immediately, which would be trading Robert Covington. As much as I love Robert Covington for Jared Allen and Torian Prince, Prince is I don't even know what his career is going to be at this point. He's kind of up in the air. So you're mostly doing Jared Allen for, for Covington. But um, again, I think this is like, if you, if you want to make that switch as fast as possible with a legitimate player at center, I think this trade is probably your best bet for them off the top of my head. I mean, maybe you could do like a miles Turner thing as well, but this kind of a thing, I, I like this trade for both sides. I, I think Covington on the, on the nets would be awesome too. I mean, the perimeter defense with him and Durant would be crazy. Yeah, I like that trade for both sides. I've I've always been a, a bigger believer in Jared Allen than the Nets themselves seem to be. I, I don't <laughs> love the DeAndre Jordan addition. I, I think eventually that's going to kind of end up being an impasse for them. But it seems like that was part of the deal to get those two guys to come to Brooklyn. And, you know, if you're dead set on starting DeAndre Jordan, then to some degree, Allen is expendable. And on the other side, you know, if you're the Rockets and you actually want to employ an NBA player who plays center then you need to go out and get one. And I think this is a pretty good way to do it. I mean, I don't know that Covington is viewed as like a foundational piece for them. I think he was a nice addition this past year. Obviously, it didn't work out. They didn't go as deep in the playoffs as they thought they would. But yeah, I think he's fairly expendable. And I like this deal a lot for Brooklyn, just because Jared Allen was basically playing like 22 minutes a night for them as the part-time backup, you know, by the end of end of the year. Um and Torian Prince, I think, is also extremely expendable. So you're, you're picking up a really, really good perimeter defender who, you know, Kevin Durant, the last we saw him, was an excellent uh, perimeter and, and interior defender as well. So you could go, you know, DeAndre Jordan, Robert Covington, Kevin Durant, Karis LeVert, Kyrie Irving as your starting five. I, I think that on paper, that's as good of a starting five as any team in the league. I think so. Yeah. And um, I mean, Torian Prince isn't like bad. It, it just feels like it's funny because he's at that point of his career where it's kind of kind of, kind of like unclear where things are going to head. And that's kind of the point where you end up on the Rockets. Right. And you just catch corner threes from Harden and fire them up. Um, so I think that makes sense for them, too. But that was a it was a trade I liked. I thought it would be fun for both teams. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a three way trade. I try not to include too many of these. Uh, cause they just, it's hard to do, it's hard to do over audio. And, um, <clears throat> I also wanted to include a lot of trades that weren't already floating around. Like everybody knows the Bradley Beal to the Nuggets trades or whatever. I tried to find some trades that were kind of not in the ether, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a three-way trade that I think is really weird, but I kind of like it. So the, this is the Warriors getting Al Horford and Josh Richardson. The 76ers get Kevin Looney and Buddy Heald and the Kings mm -hmm. get Andrew Wiggins. Um, it's completely chaotic trade, but, and it kind of cap locks the Warriors even more than they already were, um, mm -hmm. to some extent, but they fill out the roster a little bit more. I think Al Horford makes sense on that team as a, you could be a stretch five, um, is very similar to Draymond. So I think if they ended up wanting to move Draymond, that they would still have that high post passer on their roster. I think Josh Richardson makes sense for them as like a fourth or fifth option, 76ers go off Horford. They get a shooter and Buddy Heald who can handle the ball a little bit. Um, they're mostly getting rid of contracts. And then the Kings just kind of take a flyer on on Wiggins because their team's a mess anyway. I, I don't love this one as much as the first one. I'll say that. But I mean, neither do I. <laughs> I understand. It. Yeah, I, I also know that you didn't come up with this. But I, I, if I'm the Warriors, I would not be thrilled that I turned Andrew Wiggins and essentially D'Angelo Russell you know, into Al Horford. Uh, I, I don't think that that's you know really an appealing piece to add right now, especially giving the contract. But you get Josh Richardson, who becomes by far your best role player. You know, I, I think that's something that's gone a little under the radar with the Warriors is that, yes, you get Steph back, you get Clay back, um, you get a more healthy, engaged Draymond, you would imagine. 
But this bench is completely depleted. You know, gone is Iguodala, Livingston, Barbosa, all, all of the guys who were giving you great minutes and hit a lot of big shots over the years. Um, and it's a lot of unproven, you know, Jordan Poole and um, Pascal, Eric Pascal, guys like that are, are yeah. in line for big minutes right now. So anytime you can add Josh Richardson, who just soaks up 30 minutes on the perimeter, I think that, that's almost the bigger get for them. And obviously they're in need of a center as well. So I guess or- Horford does fill that. Um I mean, for the Sixers, obviously the boon is getting off the Horford contract and then you get Buddy Heald. I, I don't think Kevon Looney is a huge appeal. And in some ways, his his salary is a little bit of an arbitrage um, as well. But I don't hate it. And I feel like Andrew Andrew Wiggins ending up on the Kings has been inevitable <laughs> all along. I mean, the, the Kings have just kind of been like this Andrew Wiggins magnet and he's just been slowly moving closer and closer. Right. And he would be their, he'd be their second best player at that point, depending on how good Bagley is. But the Fox, the Fox Wiggins Bagley trio, it's kind of gross, but it feels right in a way. Um, I just, yeah. I don't know. I just thought that trade was intriguing. I didn't know if I liked it a ton, but it, it was interesting to me. Um, All right, read me the next one. So this is Karis Levert and Garrett Temple to the Kings for Buddy Heald. Uh, and this to me is just Heald. I think makes more sense in a system. There already has good players in place, like the Nets, where he can be the third or fourth option. He can just t- score 18, 19 points a game, catch and shoot. And then Levert goes to the Kings, where he can be a legitimate like building block for them, like a number two option or a, a 1A or a 1B next to Fox. And some stability as an option, someone who can handle the ball, a playmaker. And it doesn't you don't have to rely as much on Buggy Heald to do that, and you don't have to rely as much on Marvin Bagley necessarily. Yeah, I love this deal for Sacramento, and I'm actually a pretty big Buddy Heald fan, but it's obvious that he doesn't want to be there, and I, I think it's fairly obvious by how they you know, handled him at the end of this past year that they're not overly interested in prioritizing him either. So if you Buddy Heald into Karis LeVert, I, I think that's huge. Um, I, I don't like it quite as much for the Nets, but if, if you're bound and determined that Karis LeVert maybe isn't the greatest fit as a guy who's a little more of a you know, ball dominant playmaker, as opposed to a spot up shooter. Um, let's say you lose Joe Harris in free agency. I, I think Buddy Heald maybe in that scenario makes more sense than Karis LeVert, even if LeVert might be the better overall player. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was coming from. You know, you still have Spencer Dinwiddie if you're the Nets mm-hmm. as a, as a ball handler and losing Joe Harris will be pretty significant for them. And they need, they're going to need shooters for that team. As much as Durant and Kyrie and Dinwiddie can kind of do their own thing. I think they still need some sugar somewhere and healed is someone who obviously is, is one of the best three point shooters in the league. Yeah. The nets are in good shape. The more, every time I look at their roster, yeah, I, I, I completely forgot about Spencer Dinwiddie, like LeBron and Davis going to the Lakers. Like that roster was pretty much cleared out. Like the Warriors roster, like we just said, other than their big three kind of cleared out. Like the nets are in, if Kevin Durant is healthy and Kyrie Irving can stay healthy next year, like that roster is going to be absolutely loaded. Yeah, I was ready. I was kind of ready when that happened to like sell on them. But I'm like you, the more I look at that roster, I'm like, you know, if they were the number two or if they ended up somehow with the best record in the East, I would that shock you? I mean, Durant and Kyrie. It's their their biggest question marks by far are just the health of those players. Like it's it's pretty hard for me to see that team. I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can say the you know, the off-court concerns with those guys or personality concerns, whatever. I don't know. Like, to me, that they're they're so talented that it will it won't really matter. But, yeah, I mean, the roster is, is, as far as, like, two superstars coming somewhere, like, that's happened a few times over the last decade or so. And almost every time, the team has to gut the roster to make it happen. This was a unique situation where everything kind of, you know, kind of played right into KD and Kyrie's hands, where they didn't, they didn't really have to do anything to clear space. And they were able to bring their buddy along at a, at a, a rate that's higher than he probably should be paid. Yep. And they, you know, as, as frustrating as the DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen center situation is, it's still a great one, two at center. And yeah, yeah Lavert and Dinwiddie are there. They, if they, they, I, they'll probably lose Joe Harris, but they have a ton of flexibility and they're good as they are. Um, I'm with you where it's like, there's obviously off court concerns and injury concerns, but like, as far as upside goes, like pure ceiling of a team, the Nets is as high as anybody's, I think. All right, next one on the list. Dennis Schroeder to the LA Lakers for Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. So 
I like the obviously I like this trade for the Lakers. The problem is I think they do have to give up more than this somehow, and I'm not sure they can because I think Schroeder is more valuable than just basically Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green's contract, right? I think I think you can get more than that for him, but I think in theory this is kind of the framework of a trade that feels like it should happen, right? Um, it's like a more sustainable option than like tr- the Lakers trying to get Derrick Rose, for example. Well. I feel yeah. like that's happening. Well, we'll get to maybe we'll have time <laughs> to get to that uh, at the end. See, I don't know. I, I, my reaction right away is like that almost feels like too much. Maybe I'm just kind of thinking of the reputation of these players as opposed to the actual production. I like if I if I was like a a diehard Laker fan, I feel like I wouldn't want to do this trade. Like you're giving up a starter on a team that just won the finals, and then essentially your sixth man, and your like only good remaining young asset. And you know, I'm doing air quotes on good. But I don't know. Like I feel like if if you I don't I know the money wouldn't line up, but if you could just do Schroeder for Kuzma, to me that would make a little more sense. I don't know. Like even every I feel like Danny Green's stock is so low after how poorly he played in the playoffs. But I don't know. I mean this is a guy that's multiple time NBA champion, has a history of hitting big shots, good defender. Um, I don't know. I I don't think this is that obvious of one. I I do think the Lakers come out on top because Schroeder is that good, and they they're desperate for a player like that, especially if they lose Rondo. Um, but I, I don't think this would be viewed as like a home run nationally for the Lakers. Yeah, that's fair. Giving Danny Green up is tough from like a maybe PR perspective, I yeah. guess. I um, He's good. I'm sure they don't want to lose him. But um, I guess if you can get the talent and then just try to fill your roster out even more with like the minimum price guys, who knows? Um, but that trade was at least interesting to me and something I hadn't really mm-hmm. seen before. The last one I have on this list is... This is if if the Wizards want to compete, this would be Andre Drummond to the Wizards for Thomas Bryant and essentially filler. And then the Wizards will also try to bring back Bertans, which also sounds like you're going to do. So then you're starting Wall, Beal, Bertans, Hachimura, Andre Drummond, which is a pretty good team in theory. That's a borderline formidable starting lineup. (laughs) Um, I, I think it makes sense for the Cavs, obviously. Drummond, had, there's no point in him being there. And I like Thomas right. Bryant. He makes sense, I think, for their roster. Um, the concern for the Wizards would be, do we want to even give up Thomas Bryant for Andre Drummond? Like, is the difference yeah. that big? Um, so who knows? Can, I, you I think thought, of, can you think of a player who's had a bigger difference as far as, like, production versus value than Andre Drummond? Uh, I mean, Wiggins had some nice... You know, I mean, 20 point per game. Right. But like, I mean, Drummond is like hands down the best value rebounder in the league. Yeah. Like and objectively, like a pretty good player when you watch him. But like everyone has just made up their minds that he's actually not good. I know. I just want to see him on a team that's good. Right. It feels like if he was yeah. your fourth option, that it would make a ton of sense. And maybe even your third option, depending on the team. But I almost think he doesn't have to. He shouldn't even be an option offensively. No, no. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just like your theoretically your fourth best player or your third best player um, is the role I think he needs to be in. But we just haven't seen him in that role, obviously, Mm -hmm. unlike a team that's even good. Yeah. I like this a lot. If, if the wizards could pull this off, I would do this in a heartbeat. I, yeah, I I know we, you and I have both been fairly high on Thomas Bryant more, more so from a fantasy perspective. And a lot of that has just been that the wizards haven't had a center since they parted ways with Gortat a couple of years ago. And then he's, he's just kind of the guy that was there and, and then he turned out to be okay. But like, to me, I wouldn't worry about giving up on Thomas Bryant to bring in Drummond. I, I think, I think Drummond is, you know, kind of much closer to the timeline uh, of a guy like Beal. They might've even been in the same draft if I remember correctly. Um, and, and wall, you know, by extension, I, I think if you're, if you're those two, like bringing in a guy like Drummond probably, satisfies you more than playing with someone like like Thomas Bryant has played how many games with John Wall like 10 I don't know like I I think there would it would be like a symbolic uh even though Andre Drummond it, it's still up for debate whether or not he's actually good um I think it would it would be a win now move like he said and again I mean I hate that I keep having to say on paper but that's not a bad starting five you know it's not going to win you the Eastern Conference it's, it might not even get you out of the first round but I think it's probably enough to vault you over you know, team like Orlando for the seven or the eight seed. Right. You'd be, you'd be competing with basically Chicago and Atlanta for the eighth seed. Right. At that point. Yeah. And I, I think if walls healthy at the wall, Beal, Bertans, Drummond 
foursome is, is better than any four that those teams are throwing out. Right. And especially if Hachimura, who had a solid year, you know, makes a, yeah. a, a relatively good leap. Would you have any reservation about trading Hachimura instead of Bryant? Like, is he significantly more valuable to you than Bryant? I don't know. I... I didn't. I I can't say I can't. I can't. I can't say I watched enough Hachimura to like be convinced either way yeah. on like his stock. I just love. I I just think Thomas Bryant. I think he he's kind of the prototypical like center of the future. Right. He shoots threes. He blocks shots. He can yeah. score. He can rebound. Um, I I don't know. I really don't know. I I think it would be bad from a. I think it would be bad from a PR standpoint if you traded Hachimura. I don't think that would look good. I think you could wait. You could even if it was the wrong move theoretically, almost no one would blame you, like hindsight for trading Thomas Bryant instead of Hachimura. All right, one more that I, I pulled from Ben Swyman, who's been a guest on this podcast in the past uh, from DK Nation. Uh, he he's took a screenshot from the ESPN trade machine and then stipulated that there would be some picks involved. So like the trade itself on the surface looks terrible at first, but when you when you start to consider the picks, I actually do like this one. Uh, it involves the Sixers, the Rockets, and the Knicks, and it involves James Harden. He he tweeted this out, you know, right after uh, the report that that Daryl Morey might be targeting James Harden. So the 76ers would get James Harden and Alfred Payton. So Harden from the Rockets, Payton from the Knicks. The Rockets would get Bobby Portis from the Knicks, Ben Simmons from the Sixers, Matisse Thybul from the Sixers, and the Knicks would end up with Al Horford's contract. So they're taking that off the hands of the Sixers, and any number of first round picks, whatever it takes to sweeten it for the Knicks who, you know, are taking on the Horford deal, also giving up Portis and Peyton, not, not super important players, but you know, you basically need to be compensated for, for taking on that Horford money. I like this one again. That's like, if you're trading James Harden, it's hard to imagine getting a, a better single player than Ben Simmons. Um, and uh, even though the fit with Westbrook is suspect and he might need to be moved too, but from the, yeah, I mean the the Knicks ending up with Horford kind of sucks for them, but assuming they would get picks, because I mean I think we're probably in agreement that there are only a few teams in the league that are in a position to t- to be in acquisition, uh, contract acquisition mode and like take on a bunch of picks. It's like Detroit and the Knicks, right? Um, teams that can just take on horrible contracts in exchange for picks, and I think the Knicks should do that, and they have time. Um, to develop with like Mitchell Robinson and, and RJ Barrett and whoever they end up drafting. So I do, I do like this trade. I mean, if this, if, if these teams wanted to do this, it, it wouldn't be surprising. Like if Hargan won it out or they won it hard and out or whatever. So we have about a minute and a half left. I'm on oddshark.com okay. uh, looking at NBA free agency odds. Andre Drummond, uh, the, the four teams that are listed as possibilities. We have the Cavs. This is which team will he start next season on? The Cavaliers minus 400, the Celtics plus 550, the Hornets plus 850, and the LA Clippers plus 1400. I wanted him to get. I thought he was going to get traded to the Clippers last season. I yeah. thought that was like. I thought that was going to happen. Um, just like Harrell for Drummond, basically. And, Probably should have uh, done that in retrospect. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Celtics, I mean, you can see where the Celtics one comes from because they need a center, Hornets need a center, stuff like that. Um, I would like to see him on the Clippers, but that's a that's a tough that's a tough mm-hmm. move to make. Clippers would be a lot of fun. Um, Derek Rose is also listed here, of course, wow, of and course. The, the Pistons and the Lakers are co-favorites at plus one seventy-five, which says a lot because typically the team that they're currently on is like the heavy favorite just by default. Uh, but the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Seventy Sixers all listed as possibilities. Would you want Derrick Rose on the Bucks? Depends what the Bucks have to give up. Um, I think he'd be very little. better offensive player than Eric Bledsoe. I think. Oh. Not as good on defense. Yeah, that's possible. But I wins a lot. I mean, Rose can score 18 a game. Mm-hmm. But I, I would I would like to see. It's just I don't, I don't know what the Bucks would give up. Uh, they just don't they don't have a ton. And I don't think they have a ton that like Detroit would be interested in. Because they're not going to give up DiVincenzo, right? I mean, they would give up DJ Wilson, but again, who wants him? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Great note to end on, Alex. <laughs> uh, you and I will be back on NBA Dash Radio next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.